Good morning on this Sunday morning. How's everybody doing today? All right, all right. Yes, thank you. Thank you for, for being here this morning. And although we are distanced from one another, and although there are those at home watching, I'm so glad for this opportunity to come together live and in color and also virtually. So I'm grateful to our God and thankful for his grace and mercy. So before we begin our praise and worship this morning, let us all pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before your throne right now, Lord. We're just so in awe and wonder of you. You are merciful and you are mighty. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are our Father. You love us unconditionally. You grafted us into your loving arms, Lord. And continually, every day, you share your love for us. You cause us to stop and pause on our day of praise and worship to glorify you, Lord. And we are just here, grateful for the privilege to do that. I hope and pray that this day helps us to recall and remember who you are, what you do, and how you love us, Lord. Be with us on this day. Help us to receive your word. Help us to understand your word and help us to apply your word. And ultimately, we hope and pray that we can impact the life of someone else, Lord, that they will then turn to you and ask you to bring them into your loving arms. All these things we ask and pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Do we get some more cars in the lot? I see them coming in. They're coming. Yeah. So the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. All right. Come on and put your hands together. you are good. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Lord, you are good and 
merciful. He's wonderful. He's mighty. He's all powerful. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. Who is he for you? Who is he for you? Let's think about that for a moment. I'm going to need some help this morning from everybody because I know what the Lord is to me, but I want you to think about what he is to you right? He's faithful. He's righteous. He's our healer. He's our savior. He is awesome. He is our father, right? So let's get our minds focused on who he is so we can proclaim to him that we love him, right? All right, are we ready? Because I know I call him holy. I call you holy. 
your name is holy you are so holy to me i call you holy your name is holy holy you are and holy you'll be i call you holy god i call you holy your name is holy you are so holy to me i call you holy your name is holy holy you are and holy you'll be i call him righteous i call you righteous your name is righteous you are so righteous to me i call you righteous your name is righteous righteous you are and righteous you'll be and i also call him awesome he's awesome i call you awesome your name is awesome you are so awesome to me i call you awesome your name is awesome and awesome you are and awesome you'll be and i also call him faithful he's so faithful i call you faithful your name is faithful and you are so faithful to me i call you faithful and your name is faithful and faithful you are and faithful you'll be has he been a healer has he been your healer i call you healer your name is healer and you are the healer to me i call you healer and your name is healer and healer you are and healer you'll be and he is my savior is he your savior i call you savior your name is savior you are the savior to me and i call you savior your name is savior and savior you are and savior you'll be yeah yeah he's all that he's all that and more he is all that and more is he all that and more to you? Yes, yes. Come on, say yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's holy, righteous faithful healer he is my savior yes he is all that oh yeah 
to our sister Melanie as she has been throughout this summer, along with um, some of the folk just really leading us in worship well. Um, if you guys have appreciated it, let us hear you respond with some horns. We've been thankful to God that we have had great weather every Sunday. <clears throat> We've had one time when it's actually drizzled or rained on us. And other than that, to think that throughout a summer in Indiana, when the weather can change in a snap, that we have had good weather, even if it was really hot, is a testament and a thank you to God for uh, him allowing us to do this throughout this summer. And so we are truly and deeply grateful and as well, just grateful that we've been able to journey through this book as we have been in First Peter, as you know, looking at living well while in exile. And so today, this morning, we're going to get into chapter 5 as we close out this book. And I believe in a much-needed summary and and targeted instruction that Peter gives. Before I go into that, just want to remind you that we will be, not next week, but the week after that, we will be beginning our series that will follow along um, with our small group studies. For most of you that know, we have talked about email, sent out texts, information about our new small groups that will be... Um, Starting up again, of course, those groups will be by Zoom. And um, if you have not picked up your book and you are still journeying with us in that, you can even today. They are ready and um, willing to get you to uh, purchase your book and to be ready for our next series. It will be focusing on what is called gospel-shaped mercy. Remember, we have been looking at the gospel-shaped church in our small group studies. The first one was gospel-shaped living. The whole premise is that if indeed the Christian and the church was brought into being by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it should be maintained and continue to exist by that very same gospel. And so our first series, our first <clears throat> um, sessions, which were seven of them, were focusing on gospel-shaped living and that how we live out that gospel as a, as a community of believers and followers of Christ. And this next one will be gospel-shaped mercy, in that how we as followers of Christ bring to the world what God has intended for its flourishing. We know this is not permanent, that this world as we know it will not be around forever according to God's word, 
But while it is here and around, God says that his church is to be for flourishing of the environment as we are a testimony to the grace of God, bringing some into Christ. And this whole issue of mercy and justice is one that we will study from the biblical context. There will be, again, seven sessions that we will have, and they will meet, of course, by Zoom. So if you are currently in a group, great. You'll be hearing from your leaders about, if you have not already, about when you will be starting. If you um, are not a part of one and you would like to, that we still have room in our different groups that you can become a part of that are spread out throughout the city, although right now still all meeting by Zoom. And so you can make sure that you get yourself in a position to be able to learn. So let us know today if you're not a part of one that you want to and that you can join in so that we can begin this next study well. And so with that, I want to pray for us. Let us jump into the word of God in chapter five of first Peter. We know the overall theme is living well while in exile. Today, this morning, we're going to look at the church is needed in trying times. I know as things get tough and as the assaults have come in different ways, people sometimes will look at the church and say, why are y'all even needed? You know, why are you around? What is your effectiveness? And even though I believe we have missed it sometimes in our effectiveness in the world, God still has his church here for a reason and for a purpose. And as we close out this book, Peter shifts his instruction and his attention to the people as they gather as a body of believers, as the church and his final push, his final point, his final instruction and his final proclamation is to the church and how it is to operate in trying times. And so let's go before God and then we will jump into his word. Father, thank you again for this morning, for this great weather, for this opportunity, Lord, for this time to worship you. Thank you that, God, that you are awesome. You are all that. God, you are glorious. We thank you, oh God, that we can worship you because of your great character and because of your mighty deeds. Lord, you have saved us and then you have set us on the right course, on the right way, and we thank you for that. But Lord, we do understand also that we live in this world, God, that is filled with sin, that is trying, and God, that at times pushes us to the limits. And we come before you, oh God, thanking you for your grace that you have kept us, that even in spite of us and in spite of the things that we do and how we are prone to mess things up, God, that you have kept us. Father, we pray, God, right now that as believers, we would bring peace in this world. Father, we know that there is no peace without Jesus at the center. And we pray, God, for our world, God, that as followers of Jesus Christ, who came and gave his life so that others may know you and be reconciled to you, Father. I pray that we would bring this great news, that we would be a part of the solution. Father, that our sacrifices, Lord, that our way of living, that our example, oh God, would bring human flourishing as we bring this gospel. I pray, God, that we would be part of the solution and not the problem. 
I pray, God, that we would stand in the hope that you have given us and showing people that there is hope in this world, but it is not in anything that is of this world. It is in you. Father, I pray that you would help those that are leading us, O oh God, to lead in the direction that you are going. I pray for some that are hopeless this morning, God, that as they turn to all the things that they have used to, I mean, that they used to turn to in the past, that they would realize that it is not sufficient to sustain nor to hold them, but God, that people would turn to you, that they would submit themselves under your authority, that they would embrace your way and your will, and thus, Lord, they would enjoy life in you. And so, Father, we pray this morning that indeed we are light, we are salt in this world. And Father, we commit ourselves to you, knowing, O oh God, that you are the one that will continue to strengthen us for the task ahead and for the journey that lies before us. I pray, God, for all those who are coming into a new week downcast and struggling. I pray, God, that as they look in your face, as they look at your word, as they trust your character, Lord, that they would find not only relief, but rejuvenation, Lord, as they start this new week. I pray for those that are currently enjoying, oh God, trusting you, Lord, that they would look around them and they would look to others that may be slipping, failing, or falling, and oh God, encourage and strengthen them. I pray that we would look out for one another. I pray that we would look out for our world. Father, this morning as we get into your word, may you open our mind, our understanding, our thinking, our processing, Lord, that we will ask this question after we hear your word, what must, me, what must we do in light of what we've just heard? And Father, today I pray that we would, after we are left, say that it, would has good, it was good to have gathered as the household of the Lord. We pray for your wisdom and your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, if you would turn with me to 1 Peter. Peter begins, depending on your version, with a therefore, and you know what we've said. Some versions say so. It is that same word of thought as therefore. And as you've heard me say repeatedly, when you see a therefore in Scripture, find out what it's. You can say it out loud. Let's say it again. If you see a therefore in Scripture, find out what it's. Therefore, exactly. And so when Peter says so or therefore, he is tying in the last few verses of in his thought from chapter four. Remember, he is saying that that indeed uh, that do not be surprised. Sorry, you go up to verse 12. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And we do that, don't we? That when we are going through, when it is coming on hard, we have the tendency to stop and say, God, what on earth is going on? And God says, don't be surprised. Why are you surprised? You exist in the world whose whole purpose and thought pattern is opposite of mine. They oppose me and do not choose to follow me. Thus, 
what you see happening will be against who I am and what I want to do. And since you bear my name and since you possess my character and since you want to live for me, guess what? They will be opposing you, but it is not a us against them for us to be mad at the world. God has given us this so that it settles us. Don't be surprised. Once again, we're explaining that therefore. And then he also says, look, in verse 14, he says, if you insulted, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. I know that's not how you feel. I know that's not what you think, but he is telling you the truth. If because of your faith in Christ, because of your walk in Christ. Now, not because you're doing something that you shouldn't have, not because you are out of pocket with the Lord, not because you are uh, against the law. He's not saying that if you are doing something you should not be, you are getting what you should be getting. And even that is probably under the grace of God because it could be worse. But he is saying that if you are insulted for the name and when it says the name, it also speaks up because of the character of Christ. When the scripture talks about someone's name, it just doesn't mean your name that you were given. Name really connotes character when you're hearing it from scripture. So if 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 you are insulted because your character is in line with the character of Christ, you are blessed and he didn't say how you feel. He was giving you a statement of truth. You are blessed. And then he reminds us again, because the spirit of God, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And then he goes to verse 17, the other therefore, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And this is actually the verse that many of the theologians and commentators believe that that therefore is specifically pointing to. It says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will become the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the and, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And he says to them, look, he says, God is causing this suffering time. God is causing your life as an exile to do some weeding out. If you look around us here in this parking lot, we've done some weeding, but we need to do some more. And as a matter of fact, if you look around you among some of the nice flowers and brush and plants, you will see some weeds growing up in between. And what ends up happening is that when the when the gardener comes and begins, he or she will go through and begin to pull the weeds that have grown up amongst those that are supposed to be there. And 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 what God does with with suffering is that he uses it many times as a proving and a weeding out process, proving because those that bounce, those that say I'm out. Those that begin to show their true colors, God is letting you see they weren't a part of you in the first place. They were people who were pretending. They were people who were trying to play a part. But when it got hot, they had to leave because they were not there for the purposes intended. And so suffering has a way of showing who is really with us and who is not. Or I should say who is really with God and who is not. So don't be surprised. God is in process. 
and he is proving those who will truly remain. And so he gives you a sub there for he says, look, when you suffer according to God's will. In other words, he's saying suffering is a part of the plan of God. It's not something strange. It didn't overpower and overcome God. God actually has it there. I know that doesn't teach well in many of our churches and places, but it is God's word and you will see it throughout. God uses and even intends suffering because it causes us to do what is right. It causes us to see what is real, and it causes us to understand that all of this around us is temporary. And he wants us, although we live here and we enjoy here and we settle ourselves some here, this is not all that there is. And so when he gets into chapter five, he says, therefore, I exalt the elders. Understand the thought here when he said in verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of, of, of the Lord. He is using a scripture in Ezekiel and there is a thought there. And what he is saying is where that judgment starts is at the top. And so he speaks to his church that body of believers, that group that is needed in trying times. How is the church on a whole supposed to behave and act when its members are under fire and under trial because they are in exile? And so he says, let me show you how you are to live as a church. He has dealt with us corporately, then he deals with us individually as we walk through scripture. He's even dealt with the way that this pressure um, uh, uh, hurts or or may actually press on our marriages when we when we had that. And then it begins to talk about us individually dealing with the fiery trials. And he comes back to us as a collective, but he talks about us as a church. And when he talks to the church, God, through Peter, starts with his leaders. And I'm going to give you two things to focus on today as we look at chapter five. Number one is God's message to his shepherds. God starts off by saying, since judgment starts in the house of God, when God starts to judge, he deals first with his own before he deals with the world. He says, I'm going to start with its leaders. And then we're going to see God's message to the sheep because he gives it in general at the end. So this morning too, God's message to his shepherds and then God's message overall to his sheep. And I'm saying this morning, this is what you should expect from your leaders. But what Peter does, not only does he identify with the shepherds, but he gives three things that are <clears throat> that are hurdles that every under shepherd needs to watch out for dangers for the shepherd. And then he gives the remedy for that danger. 
Once again, we're talking about the church. God says, this is his message. This is his, this is his last communication in this letter to the church. And he says, I'm going to tell y'all what you should expect from your shepherds and what should be expected from the sheep. And you keep these before you, because if you don't see this from your shepherds, you need to be talking to God about what to do about those kind of shepherds. And if you need to remain under them. Because God is calling for leadership to lead and those to follow, to follow under that leadership. But if that leadership goes awry, God doesn't tell you to follow them into the pit. He's given you what you should see. He's given you what you should know. So you know how to respond. And so he gives three. So let me read it. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let me start first with, I love what Peter does. He identifies himself with them in a number of ways. Number one, he says, look, I'm a fellow elder with you. They knew that he was an apostle. They knew that he was one that physically, literally walked with Jesus, but they also knew that he was one that failed miserably. And so whenever Peter comes here, he makes no pretenses. He doesn't come trying to show off his authority, he identifies with the leaders in the position that they have and in the pressures of the position. He says, look, I'm a fellow elder. So when you are feeling that pressure and that crunch in hard times, I was there. As a matter of fact, I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. And in this particular case, he's talking about sufferings with them, meaning I am a fellow sufferer because of the name of Christ with you. I don't stand apart from you, but also I'm going to take you back to a time when I literally saw the sufferings of Christ. I saw how the crowd changed. I saw how the religious leaders turned on him. I saw how the people loved him at one point and then shouted crucify him at the end. But then I was also of witness because I turned my back on him as well. But I'm also a witness of how Christ restores. Because remember, when they were standing by the seaside, he says to Peter, do you love me more than these? And he does it three times and it hurts Peter. It bothers him, but it was a part of restoration. And he ends up saying to Peter, feed my sheep. It is no wonder that Peter is here talking to the crowd about the shepherd and the sheep. Peter was doing what Jesus told him to do. He was right now, once again, feeding God's sheep as a fallen leader that was restored. And so I see here that Peter is saying, look, elders, look, leaders, I'm not coming to you as this prim, proper, pristine, sinless guy. I'm not coming to you as this guy that has it 
all together. But it is all together because God has put me back together after failing miserably, after walking away from him and realizing that I didn't want to be identified with him. Peter is now identifying with him, and it is believed that within 18 months of him writing this letter, Peter was killed for his faith. And so we see here that he says, listen, I identify with you. That I'm a fellow elder involved in the fellow sufferings. And one day I'm with you as well. We will enjoy the glory of God when he is revealed. So don't be deterred. Don't be turned away. Don't be tripped up by what's happening with you. The pressure is greater many times on the leaders because people know if you get the leaders, you will scatter some of the people. And God doesn't want anyone scattered. And so he comes here and he says, the first thing he says is, Number one, God's communication to his shepherds is that leaders are to be shepherds. And so when he says is shepherd the flock of God, actually, literally from its Greek, it could actually because it's a play on words here because the word for shepherd and the word for flock come from the same root. And so what he is saying, in essence, is shepherd the sheep. That's what he's actually telling Peter. Look, Peter is telling them shepherd the sheep. And with that shepherding comes some different things in mind. He tells them shepherds because as a shepherd, you need to put your sheep in front of you. You need to be among them, not distant from them. You need to be out and in whenever shepherds came in and around other people because you realize this was not a pristine position. This was not a top of the rung position. As a matter of fact, shepherds were on the bottom of the economic system. Uh, they were not highly regarded, even though their positions <clears throat> were highly needed. Instead, these were people that were disregarded, but knew that they had a very important role. God could have chosen anything to give as an example of the leaders of his people. He did not choose a CEO, even though a shepherd could have good business acumen. He did not choose a slick celebrity, even though a shepherd could be widely known. He did not choose a wealthy entrepreneur, even though God may use men that may have that around them. What he chose was one of the lowest seen status positions in the rank of that economy and culture. And he said, this is what my leader will represent. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not educated. It doesn't mean that you don't have great time management. It doesn't mean that you don't have a plan. But if the only thing that your shepherd wants to be seen for is how slick he is, how good he looks, how wealthy he is, how set up and how much status he has, you might be following the wrong shepherd. Because God says here, what I want you to do as a leader is to shepherd the sheep. And then he gives the pitfalls that can be happening. But he says, number one, they are to exercise oversight or that word actually just is overseeing. And that's all the word is that's there in the original. It's been the exercising oversight was given as the understanding for clarifying the word. The word that was just there was overseeing. And what does overseeing mean? That means watching 
over and watching out for. So I'm going to tell you now, don't be mad when the shepherd that God has given says something to you in a way that he is watching over your spiritual life and how you're doing. He getting all in my business. Why he asking me about that? He over here talking about stuff. Look, go mind your business, man. I'm okay. God says it's charged him with overseeing. So when a warning comes or when a be careful, sister, or when a brother watch your back, it could be, and I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about any shepherds in your life that it could be that God is given wisdom to watch over and out for. And it is also no wonder that God chooses sheep of all animals to be an example of his children in the world. They are the most defenseless, I mean, one of the most defenseless animals out there. Its defense, a sheep's defense, is its shepherd. It doesn't have sharp claws. It doesn't have a hard shell. It doesn't have long fangs. It doesn't have wings to fly away. Their big defense is one huddling in a flock and depending on the shepherd to do its job. That doesn't sound very promising unless your shepherd is Jesus, unless the shepherd is the one who has all power and he is placed in charge under shepherds or people, or as the scripture here, you have a chief shepherd and then shepherds. And so understand that the oversight, just as a shepherd would on the pasture, is that he knows where all and he's looking over all that one is God. And he placed those under him so that among the flock that is there that he has put in your charge, you are to watch out for. This is what you should expect of your shepherds. It says overseeing. But also don't be mad for your shepherd. Warning and not just watching out. Take that warning seriously if it is a person that has been in the word, living by example and doing what God wants. Why? Because once again, God for the believer, for the sheep, has as the defense Christ as the chief shepherd, chief shepherd with those underneath him following his lead. So it says exercising oversight. And then they give the three things that are prone for shepherds to fall into. Number one, it says, not under, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. First thing that he says for shepherds, listen, this needs to be something that you were desirous for. Not that someone said, hey, no one else is going to do it. You might as well step in, bruh. God says, nah, uh-uh. Not qualified. Well, ho, hold on a second. Looks like there's some good status in it for you. Hey, since you can't do anything else, you might want to do this. Since you failed as a business CEO, won't you fulfill your CEO dreams from your shepherd? And God says, mm-mm. He says, this is only for those who voluntarily see that God has Put him in this position because understand, if you are going to be in a position of a true shepherd, many of the times you may not be honored. 
You may not be seen as Mr. Status. You may have to stand alone and stand up when others are telling you to sit down. And so what he tells for you and I is that he says, look, he says that shepherd, he says, not under compulsion because someone made you because they decided to have lots drawn and you drew, you drew the short stick up. I guess, Curtis, you got to do it. God says, no, you got to desire this, want this, be called. I'm not talking about some really super spiritual calling. You heard it in the clouds, but God has planted in your heart this desire that you would move forward knowing the cost that you may have to pay and maybe not even knowing all that may be there. First thing. Second thing, he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Understand this, he says, look, he said, you ain't getting into this thing for unethical and sinful money gaining. Wow, we've seen that happen. God says, that's not my man. That's not my shepherd. If, you get in this, if you're getting into this thing exclusively for the money, it's going to come out and it's going to show. Now, that doesn't that does not mean, and I'll say this for myself, it doesn't mean that you don't compensate nor pay. Not at all. But what you do know is that if that's the main driver of the person being there, the person doesn't need to be there. It will come out. It says that you are not fulfilling business person dreams by coming into the pastorate. And that church may actually sit on and manage and cover lots of funds and finances. It's not saying that. I knew some people who believe that their pastor should be both broke and under submission. Keep them poor. That's not God's will, but neither is it God's will for me to find my lottery dreams in the pastorate. And so what he tells is that you should expect of your leaders to be one that is doing it because they desire it voluntarily. They're not angry at God that they've been called to it. And number two, that they should not be in it for shameful, unethical gain. Notice he qualifies the gain. He didn't say that they shouldn't be in it for any gain at all. He just said that for shameful or unethical or greedy or, or, or that which is under the table, that is not God's shepherd. And then lastly, he says the third pitfall that is there for the leader that you should be looking out for is not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. I put here as a note for myself as I was looking that instead of demanding your way, what he is telling them is that you should be showing the way. He says not domineering. It doesn't mean that he doesn't lead or he doesn't call for folk to follow in a direction. He's not saying that. What he means is that you are this authoritarian dictator. No one can talk to you. No one can come close to you. No one can even get near you. You are, you've got this aura around you that you are it. You are the man. You are on the top. God says they are not to be domineering. As a matter of fact, what it takes me to just turn with me for a second is back to Luke chapter 22. Christ, when he had to deal with them um, because they were arguing right before he was going to go to the cross 
about who was going to be the greatest, he knew what they were arguing about, and so he had a lesson for his disciples. <clears throat> and he tells them, look, verse 24 says, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was, going, was to be regarded as the greatest. And verse 25 says, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. In other words, this is how the world looks at and how they lead, looks at leadership and how they lead. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. They are in it because it benefits them. They do it because they know the benefits of doing it. And then Christ gives the biggest contrast, but not so with you. Once again, understand Jesus said, this is how it's done in the world. And right now you're acting like the world. You're over here arguing who's going to be the greatest when I've been giving you this, all this information about what's about to happen. I'm in here teaching. I had already washed your feet. And he says, look, and now you're still in here arguing over who's going to be the greatest. You're still trying to jockey for position. You're trying to set yourself up. God says, you've got the wrong perspective and you're coming from the wrong place. He says to them, number one, he says, this is what the world does, but he just cancels it right there. But this is not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, because in that society, the youngest had the least amount of rights in the family. The youngest had the smallest voice, had the least say so. So when he said to be as them, he didn't say that you didn't have a voice. He said you are to be one that are to hear what others are saying before you demand what you say be heard. So he says to them, Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at table or who serves? Is not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. Jesus says, listen, you counted the one who is at the table greatest, who is there reclining because he has the privilege of being at the table to recline, but I am the greatest among you, and yet you see me serving. And so what he says to his shepherds is, listen, Peter knew and understood that night. I bet he never, never, never forgot that night during the Last Supper. And he reminds them, listen, this is not for you to be domineering. Again, he does not say that you can't lead. You don't have a plan. You don't give what needs to be given. You don't even give orders, but it's not because you are trying to be domineering or to dominate is because you know that's where God is leading, but you are listening to people and the needs that are around you. And he says, so instead of dominating, be examples. These people just won't follow. My question may be sometimes, did you give them anything good to follow? Are they seeing any good examples of your life? Are you showing them how you want this thing lived out? If not, stop demanding. And I know this puts the pressure on for me. Good. Because then what that means is if I want people to follow me, I need to follow like Christ. And so he says to them, 
listen, I want you to understand where your real reward is because some of the time doing this will seem unrewarding. And he takes their mind not to anything in their current time. He takes them to the future. And he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, and so leaders are to be shepherds knowing that there is a chief shepherd and he will return. It says when he appears or when he is fully revealed in who he is, when that day comes and Christ is fully revealed to the world, he says, you who have done what is needed, who have not been um, who has not been domineering, but showing the way, who has not been in it for shameful gain, but is eager to serve you who are in it, not because you had to, because you wanted to. He said, you will receive the unfading crown. And the picture there, the word for unfading was this was this rose whose color did not fade and they made the wreath out of it that they put on your head as a victor. And so when he said the unfading crown, they knew exactly what he was talking about, except it wasn't one that was temporal that eventually would die. He said that your crown will be given by the chief shepherd because you have done what you should have when you should have and how you should have. And so to his leaders, he is telling you and I, listen, even if you give your leaders grief, if he stands up for the challenge, God's going to reward him. Oh, he'll deal with you, but he's going to reward him. And so he's reminding you of what the leaders will do. And he's reminding the leaders of what he's going to do if they do what they should do. And then secondly, and lastly, he gets into now God's message to the sheep and he gives everyone because even the leaders are sheep under the chief shepherd. He says to everyone in verse five, clothe yourselves. As a matter of fact, I will deal with that verse. Likewise, you who are younger, he is not talking about age because the word that he used there was not for younger in age. He was saying you who are not of the experience and the maturity of your elders or those that lead, because in order to be an elder in other scriptures, you had to demonstrate some character and some lifestyle, which would happen over time. And so it wasn't typical for some very young, inexperienced new guy to be an elder because he has not demonstrated his worth. And so that's something to be said for today. It doesn't mean that all the old guys need to be leaders, but they need to be people who have demonstrated maturity, people who have demonstrated lifestyle, people who have demonstrated that they can lead their families, people who have demonstrated that they can handle money, people who have demonstrated that they can handle conflict and how to deal with people. These are not new guys. These are not Young bloods, these are people that are tried and, 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 and are tested and are proven. And then he says, those are the ones that should be your leaders. And then he goes down, he says, all of you, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Now he starts to deal with the attitudes of those around and that are sheep. He says, listen, like a garment, let humility drape you. Understand the garment right back then of choice 
was the tunic and it draped them. And so they fully understood that when Peter was saying, let humility clothe you, let it drape over you like a tunic. When people deal with you and see you, one of the biggest things they see about you is your humility. Our world, just like the Roman world, does not value humility. They did not. They thought it was a weakness of the Christian back then, and they think it's a weakness of the Christian today. And nothing changes. God says, I don't care what they think. If indeed you are my child, my sheep, in my flock, Humility will be what you are characterized by. It is nothing worse than an arrogant sheep. It's nothing worse than this rebellious sheep. I'm going to do my own thing. Only problem is you have no defenses when you go out on your own because you weren't built with any. Oh, I know you think it's your intellect. God says, no, not smart enough to deal with the evil in this world. I know you, you may even think it's your connections and your status. That's not enough for you to deal with this evil world. Okay, you might think that it's your finances. Not enough to deal with this evil world. You are defenseless without Christ as your shepherd. And whatever happens to you, boy, if anything good is because of the mercy of God. If bad, because that's what happens when you are in a sinful world. And bad things, tough things happen to unbelievers. But God is still watching and he is still over. And you know that you are still under the shepherd. And so he says to the sheep, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. And then he says for the sheep, they all must be humble. Why? Because if you look here, you'll actually see in verse six where it actually says, why should you humble? I'm sorry. Verse five. Why should you humble yourself? Because if you don't, if you are proud, understand that you're opposing God. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Someone today is seeking for God's grace and wondering why you can't get it. It's not coming. It doesn't seem to be evident. Could it be that your pride has you opposing God versus standing with him? Could it be that you're proud, that your that your sin of 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 being proud of going against God is keeping you from having the grace of God? And so he tells you and I, listen today, if you want my grace, be humble. And I love it. He says, humble yourself. Oh, we all have experienced times when God has humbled us. And we all remember those times because they're probably not great. But God, when he gives you the opportunity to humble yourself, do it. And he gives us that daily. Humble, humility means putting yourself in the proper and right position under greater authority. In this case, the greater authority is God. And so he tells you, put yourself in the, assume the proper position under God. That's what humility is all about. And so he says, humble yourselves, therefore, verse six, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And I like what he says, what he says, so that sheep must behave humble. Why? Because under his mighty hand is where you will find your safety. 
Yes, the world will think of you and may turn on you and may set out traps for you and may not like you, but God says, humble yourself. Don't return under his mighty hand. Why? Because at the proper time, he will exalt. And the proper time here is when the fullness of time comes, when God ends and sees all, you will be rewarded for your humility, not for your retaliation. You'll be rewarded for your humility and not for your pride. And so he says to you and I today, as you are humble, you're going to need to do something while you're humbling yourself. And what is that? Casting all your anxieties. What anxieties? The anxieties that come from humbling yourself in a world that is trying to take advantage of you. It will cause anxieties. You'll say, God, this is not fair. Why on earth are they trying to do this? I thought I was following you. Aren't you mighty? I thought your hand was strong. Why do you leave me out here like this? God says, cast all those on me. Why? Because I care. It doesn't seem like I do. It doesn't seem like I'm actually caring for you because of what you're going through, but I actually do and I actually am. And so he says for you and I, all those anxieties of humbling yourself, God says, bring to me because I care for you. He doesn't tell you what he's going to do. I like that because he may not do anything. He may be just letting you know, I care. I know. I see it. Keep going. You're like, well, well, hold on, God. You're not going to change it? No, but I care. And that needs to be enough. That needs to be all that we need is that God cares and he sees and he's responding even if we don't see his response. And then he gives three right at the end bursts that will help us as we close this out for the sheep. God's message to the sheep, he says, listen, be sober minded. In other words, don't be drunk with all that this world has to offer. Don't be drunk with what you've been able to amass and possess. Don't be drunk with your environment and all the enjoyment and the pleasure that's around you. He's not saying don't enjoy things. He's not saying don't have things. He's saying don't be drunk with it. Be sober minded. Be clear minded. Be clear minded. Be alert. And resist. Be clear minded, be alert, and resist. Because why? He says, verse 8 Your adversary, the devil, that's who you're fighting. It ain't your neighbor, although you may be angry at him or her, it's who's fueling your neighbor. It might not even be a family member. It may be who's fueling the family member. He says your adversary or the one who is against you, the devil or that diabolical one, that one who schemes evil. And boy, he is says he is like a pacing or prowling lion that has his eye on the prey. Have you ever watched those National Geographic specials and all those animal planet Specials where they show the lion, the leopard, the cheetah, whichever animal that is lion-like looking at its prey. It may stop, it may pace, it may go around, and it is looking for the right moment, not just to roar. It is looking for the right moment that you give it when you get alone as sheep, 
When you go by yourself, I don't need nobody else. I'm just my own dude. I got my own way. God says, he's waiting for that moment when you by yourself and he's going to jump. Why? He says he is waiting to devour. He is waiting to eat. He is waiting to put his fangs if you give him the opportunity. God says, resist him, which means you can. God, I can't. This is too hard. No, actually, you can if you do it my way. He says, you can. He says, resist him standing firm in the faith. He gives you. How do I resist him? By keeping the faith in Christ and by standing strong regardless of what's happening around you. He says, when you stand in the faith in Christ that you have, you're resisting him. Can't do anything. Don't be afraid of his growl. He can't bite when Christ is your shepherd. So he says that after it's all done, let me give you what's going to happen. He says God is providing what will really happen if you endure the suffering. He says when all this is said and done, and when everything is wrapped up, he says, after you have suffered a little while, and see, when he says a little while, we think five minutes. We think maybe 24 hours. That suffering may be for 10, 20 years. Because when you put it in light of eternity, okay, what is 50 years in light of a million and you're just getting started? What is 100 years? I know some of us are going, oh, Lord, please, no. But, but what is 100 years in light of eternity? It's a little while. And so when he says after you suffered a little while, even if that little while is most of your life, he says after you've suffered, the God of all grace, the one who gives grace now, and you will see it in his fullness then, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish. In other words, he will he will restore, meaning he will complete and bring everything to its perfection as it was intended. Number two, he will confirm in that he will establish and, and, and he will show that you have been the real deal. He will confirm to everyone around that you have stood and you belong to God. Number three, he will strengthen, meaning he will give full strength and you will be to where he has called you to fully be in him. And then he says he will establish is that he will have a secure foundation would have been set. You are his. What he tells them is, listen, it may not all come right now. You may have to suffer all the way to the end. You may have to go through all the way down to your last breath. But God says it'll be worth it. I promise you. Oh, this is no by and by in the sky stuff. He says, while you're here, I got you. When you're dying, I got you. And when you get there, I've got you. And so you are always covered and never have to think God has walked away. So how do we live well as exiles? Boy, we've seen it through the chapters. We've seen how we are to know who we are and what God has done to get us there and where he sits us. We have to see what God has called us to and actually what he has done and that who we are and how we submit under his authority. We see here that even under pressure that our life situations and our righteousness need to represent him. And then we also need to realize that God's grace is in full effect and that Christ did not come for us to be made comfortable. 
Christ came so that our character would be changed and that by doing that, he will allow suffering to be an integral part of our life. And then lastly, he shows us how does we, uh, how do we live well? We are to live well by living well as a church. The church is needed in trying times that the shepherds are to lead and that the sheep is to follow. The sheep are to follow. How do we live? God's way. How do we live? By God's grace. How do we live? By God's strength. How do we live knowing that God rewards those who obey him? And so this morning, I hope that you've been encouraged and that you've been blessed over our series and that as it gets hard, you won't fall away. You won't back away. You will stand strong knowing that God's got your back. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us your word. You have given us of yourself. You have given us of your spirit so that we can stand firm in trying times. Father, we know what you have in store for us in one day, but we also know what you have for us right now. And I pray, God, that we would trust in your grace, that we would look forward to your completed grace And God, that we would stand in who you are, that as we do that, God, you knowing you will keep us, you will establish us, you will reward us because you love us. We ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning you may be here, and I never want to assume that there is everyone here that is walking with Christ. You may be here or you may be hearing this and you've not started a relationship with Christ. This journey that you hear, this life that you hear is foreign to you. You may think is actually crazy. People actually live like that. God calls them to. But you can do that and, 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 and know the peace and the joy that comes with living that way. You can, you, can, you can live with the assurance that Christ has you now and will have you into the future. You will know that everything that happens to you is for a plan and a purpose, even if it doesn't feel good at the moment. You can know that your life is wrapped in God's hand and he has you. But only if this morning you will recognize that Jesus is the only provision for sin to be in communion with God. And that by confessing that you are a sinner, like everyone that has come to Christ has had to, and that you have recognized and that you agree with the fact that Jesus is God's only provision for sin, and that by repenting and asking for forgiveness of sins, you can be clean, then you will be in the relationship with God and can begin that journey. If you've not done that ever, you can do that this morning sitting right where you are. You don't need fanfare. You don't need a person putting hands on you. It is you and God. I'm going to ask you this morning that if you do that, and if you've done that, can you let us know? If you are here, you can come up to me and actually let me know. I would love to pray with you. If you're not here, you can go to our website, solidword.org, and that you can get more information to connect with us, that you can let us know what you've done. And so I pray that for all of you that are here, that we are living well while we are in exile and that we are moving forward in Christ. Next weekend is Labor Day, and um, I was going to be here with you um, until, once again, 
COVID has caused and wreaked some havoc. I will be actually, we were supposed to be bringing my son to campus a couple weeks ago. Um, instead, they changed that and delayed it and gave us, um, um, just recently, gave us a new date for him moving in on campus, and that's Labor Day weekend, and I thanked him for it. No, I didn't. And so we will actually be moving him on campus at that time, and so our elder Charles Wright will be preaching for us next week. I pray that all of you guys are here and that you are worshiping together as we are finishing up the summer. One of the things that we did learn by this is that I believe every summer for at least some of the time, whether we're inside or out, that we can come outside and worship. That as the weather is nice, oh, it may not be for the whole summer like we had to this time, but I love the fact that we can be out here at least for a few times, worshiping together and letting our neighbors know of the goodness of God as they hear it over the speaker. We've learned some things through this environment. We've learned how you guys can adapt and adjust. We've learned how you guys can do things that we thought we could not or we didn't even know how we would. God has shown us that he can strengthen us if we would just trust him. And so I hope the things that we learned while we've been outside that you pick up on and you allow God to continue to minister to you and bless you. Thank you guys again so much. Remember, if you haven't picked up your books for small group, pick them up. If you want to be a part of one and you're not, let us know. Let us know today or call the office tomorrow and you can speak to anyone who answers the phone and let us know you want to be a part of it. So we are grateful again for you guys showing up. Be blessed. Go with God. Enjoy your Sunday. Have a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Be safe. Keep your social distancing. Keep doing what they're telling you so we can get rid of this virus. Please do it so that we can get back to some of the things, at least, that we used to. Y'all have a great Sunday. Thanks. You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you. Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until next time.